Welcome to the Occupational Safety Leadership Podcast, episode number 23. This one is going to wrap up our series on the OSHA Voluntary Protection Program. And in this one, we're going to cover the safety and health training. So uh, this is one of those areas that uh, not only does OSHA want to know how you're doing your training, what interval and all that good stuff. um, There's always the great debate. Do you do training in person? Do you do computer-based training? Do you do a combination of ones out there? So I'm not sure there actually is a a 100% definitive right and wrong answer. I think it's really got to depend on um, your company philosophy, uh, how spread out you are, um, who's going to do the training. I mean, so there's so, so many factors out there. Uh, so let's just kind of sit down and dive right into it then. So so uh, safety and health training, of course, it's very industry dependent. You know, what I've uh, what I'm going to talk about is just a couple of common topics out there. And that doesn't mean that it applies to your industry, of course. But when, you, when we kind of sit down and talk about it, do we want to do a hands on a computer based um, or do we want to put the person with a, uh, let's call them a mentor, a helper, a guide, uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, maybe we have a guy who's really good and we say, we want you to shadow this guy, you know, watch everything he does, do it, do everything he does, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways. So let's look at a couple of them here. Uh, one that I always cover, regardless of where I'm working and, and industry dependent and all that stuff, is an accident incident reporting. What kind of mechanism do we have out there for um, letting people know that we've had an accident, a chemical spill, a fire, whatever the whatever the issue is? There has to be a way that um, we're documenting this stuff, of course, and not that we're documenting it to point fingers. We're documenting it so that we can uh go back and fix this because if it happened once it's going to happen again you know we also want to make sure that the person gets um adequate medical treatment as quick as possible too as opposed to the guy says oh you know i kind of thought i'd tell somebody at some point and they kind of uh, his injury kind of lingers and festers and typically things don't get better on, on their own if you're just talking about uh, a back strain or something they're typically going to say take a couple of days off, but we want you to have some muscle relaxers. And we want to we want to look at how that we're going to have this good accident and incident reporting mechanism. Bloodborne pathogens. Are you in the healthcare field or some kind of field where you're going to come in contact with bloodborne pathogens? Um, we know that with this, of course, there's the uh, potential, obviously, for uh, AIDS, hepatitis, all the other bloodborne things that we can think of, uh, and once again, very industry dependent. Uh, Are we going to train folks on CPR, first aid, AED, all that good stuff? I think it's a great thing to do. Um, But likewise, likewise, I've run across a couple of companies who do not want this liability. And what they say is we're always going to depend on the local fire department, uh, EMTs, to tackle and do anything that we need done. So there's a little bit of philosophy in there. Personal protective equipment, obviously the donning, the doffing, and all that. When is it going to be used up? What type of glove do you use on what type of uh, operation? 
Uh, I know that I can um, retire with a lot of money as soon as I come up with a glove that's going to work for every application out there because a leather glove won't work for chemicals. Typically, a chemical glove doesn't have cut protection. So um, what do you use for which operation then? Hazard communication. I want folks to know exactly what they're working with and not just that, but how do you get a copy of the uh, SDS? Um, gone to a couple of places and they've said, oh, we get on the computer-based system, you know, and all that. And that's great. And that's awesome. What happens if the computer-based system is down or you have to call out to some kind of a local uh, corporate page and the internet is down and you can't. So uh, even today, I still keep, it sounds really old-fashioned, but the old, the old-fashioned um, SDS book make sure that we're set and ready to go and all that stuff then. So I just don't have the total confidence that I'm never going to have a break in connectivity, power issues. Uh, people get into a panicked situation. They can't remember a password. Um, just those types of, but again, depends on what your culture is and what your company philosophy is. Fire prevention plans, site evacuation plans. I mean, so where's the headcount area, you know? So I like to physically walk the person to the headcount area, but I also know that there's times where I have multiple sites to tackle. It's gonna to have to be the supervisor's job. So it, it's always hard to sit down and truly understand exactly how good a bunch of this training really is out there. So let's look at a couple of other uh, topics. Logout, logout, um, logout, you have your permit required, confined spaces, machine guarding, welding. I know it sounds sounds funny to have a class on welding, you know, but we're going to talk about the safety aspects. Uh, we want to make sure people are not breathing in any of the fumes and not just the welder, but what do you do with the other fumes out there? We want to put up curtains because not everybody's going to have the glasses on as they go by and you know, all that good stuff respiratory protection so in an ideal world we never have to do this because we've uh, engineered out all of the uh, hazards of the workplace for from a breathing aspect taking it in from chemicals but there may, may be times where you have to do a respiratory protection program hearing conservation um, I'd like to never do this and I've done a good job in a lot of my places and of course, I, I can't say I can't say me. So I, I take that whole thing back. Um, the company has done a good job in supporting us to make sure that we'd ever do hearing conservation. But you may be in a place where you have to and not just that, but then you have to describe the steps of like that and your respiratory protection and all that kind of just to make sure that you're doing it, uh, everything. You're just not giving somebody a respirator and saying, well, wink, wink, they only have to wear it two times a year for half an hour. So we're going to skip all the other things. We're really not going to worry about it. They just need to know that you put this on and then you're good. You know. Let's go on to the next slide here. This is where we kind of get into a little bit of the uh, debate out there. Do you do a computer-based system or do you do something in person? Uh, do you do a combination of things? So um, I'm not going to tell you that either one is better. You just have to figure out what works for you and your system. The one thing I always do, at least as a hands-on, uh, for certain things like compressed gases out there, you know, can you change a gas bottle? Can you do these steps? You know, 
lockout tagout. Can you do it as opposed to, yeah, I've been trained on lockout tagout, but I really don't understand how to go back and uh, isolate the power and isolate um, um, different valves and let, you know levers and all that good stuff. Hazard communication, we talked a little bit about that. How do you find a SDS sheet and how do you look, uh, find that first aid info? So, um, and then as far as giving the safety and health training, the uh, debate is still, do you just do a lecture? Do you literally just sit down and talk to the person for two or three hours? Or do you do a walking and walking and talking tour? You know? We also talked about, uh, is it the safety professional's job or is it the supervisor's job? Combination of both. Um, in an ideal world, it would be great if they both did it at the same time because the supervisor has the greatest impact on somebody following the safety rules, you know, sitting down and saying nothing is worth getting hurt over. But we also know that everybody is stretched so thin that at times we literally do the very best that we can. Um, I have seen where people use a, a shadow system, a buddy system. There's a lot of different words for it. And uh, you hope the person is doing a great job doing that system, whereas opposed to we've decided to give it to Joe because Joe's been here for 30 years. Well, Joe could be doing it wrong for 30 years. He's just never been never been hurt. So maybe he's imparting a couple bad habits on that next generation of people kind of coming in. So... Uh, again, there's probably not going to be a one-size-fits-all when it comes to safety and health training. Examine your needs, examine the hazards in your workplace, come up with a system. The one thing that I also do, too, is I come up with a matrix and tell everybody exactly what the expectation is for taking these classes. You know, There's nothing worse than, as a safety guy, not really having a good schedule and you're kind of springing it on people. People are people are pretty good at kind of understanding that, you know, like every every March I'm doing hazard communication, you know, or, or some other course or just. But if you just said, oh, I've decided Friday at noon, we're all going to go do this. You know, so come up with the matrix and help 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 folks with those um, expectations out there. And that is it. Episode number 23. We have wrapped up the OSHA voluntary protection program. Um, and we will just continue on doing these. My name is Dr. David Ayers. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me today and have a safe day.